And so what I focus on when I talk to these clients, especially for the first time, is results, right? We talk about results. I, you know, when I finally send them a proposal with costs and things like that, I mean, there are some line item things, but really that always comes in tandem with projections. You're going to spend this much money, you're going to get three, four, five X. That's what we're projecting you're going to get. And we focus on that. We focus on what they're going to get, not what they're going to spend. Is your current success putting a lot of demands on you? If you're good at what you do, and you are, then everyone wants you. But that's no way to scale. If you're delivering spectacular results, you should be commanding higher fees, working with only the best clients. Welcome to the Hands Off CEO Podcast, where world-class agency owners and consultants learn how to fully monetize their expertise and scale profits by doing less. Here's your host, Mandy Ellison. Hi, this is Mandy Ellison, host of the Hands Off CEO Podcast. Today on our show, we have Ricardo Perez from One Rhythm. Ricardo has been a skilled recruiter client for a number of, oh, it's about a couple of years now, Ricardo. A couple of years, yeah. He's seen some really incredible results scaling his company. So I invited him to come on the show and to share his progress. And they do just really exceptional work for some of the most top brands in their space. So Ricardo, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mandy. Appreciate the intro. Uh, my, my name is Ricardo Perez. I'm president and founder of One Rhythm. We are a direct response marketing agency a focus exclusively on membership marketing for cultural organizations. So think art museums, science museums, history museums, aquariums, uh, zoos, biological gardens, and things like that. And so we've been around for about 10 years, um, but we've really seen our, our growth and scaling really accelerate over the past uh, several years. Ironically, sort of 2020 being <laughs> like a, a moment where unlike many other areas of our lives, things really went up and to the right that year. And we've really been uh, growing ever since. So thank you for uh, welcoming me to the show. Yeah, absolutely. I know that you guys have some pretty big names in your client roster. I don't even know if you're allowed to say some of them, but definitely some help. <laughs> some of them. Yes. Yeah. Some of them we can. Yeah. We work for pretty much most of the large museums that you would know in San Francisco. So that's where we are based out of currently in San Francisco, although I am actually moving our headquarters to DC this summer. You know, we've got the, the Fine Arts Museums of San Francisco, which is the De Young, the Legion of Honor. We have the California Academy of Sciences. We have the Asian Art Museum. We have the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, the Exploratorium. So a few others like that. And then we do have a well-known museum in New York City that I will not name right now, but that we've been working with since January. And that's been fantastic. So yeah, we've been certainly uh, through our sweat equity, but also a lot of assistance from Mandy and her team over the last year and a half to really help us level up our mindset and, and the way that we operate so that we can continue to scale and provide, you know, all, all our fantastic services to these, to these great clients of ours. Yeah, love it. So why don't we first talk about your irresistible offer? Because that's one of the things that we look at to as like a foundational change that makes a big difference. I know you guys have already really, you'd already niched down to a certain mm-hmm. amount and you were seeing it work pretty well. So say more about that. Yeah. So, you know, I, we've been around for, we're in actually our 11th year now. And so I, I always tell the story of like our very first year, as this is true of a lot of businesses, you know, you'll basically take anything that comes through the door. You're just trying to pay bills. You're trying to keep your one or two employees, if you have them happy and paid and pay all your other bills. And then if there's anything left over at the end, you you kind of then use that to feed your own table. And so, you know, the first year we were kind of all over the place. We said we were doing marketing for 
educators, nonprofits, and SMBs. <laughs> After year one, you know, feeling like really kind of put through the grinder, bootstrapping it all, and then looking at my books and not, not seeing a whole lot of ultimate return for that. I kind of shared that with some of my trusted friends and colleagues. And, and the first thing they said to me was like, well, you know, educators make sense. Nonprofits make sense. Those are sort of similar. But SMBs, that's everybody. Like that, that's literally everybody else, but like maybe 100 or 500 companies in the world. And like, you know, the, the point there is you really can't be all things to all people. Like if you're trying to run the middle of the road, the chicken gets run over, right? And so very quickly after that first year, I did eliminate that SMB part. It was still pretty spread out, not only in terms of educators and nonprofits, because that still covers a wide range of organizations, but also in the services that we were providing. We were still doing like a website redesign if somebody asked us to do that or just things that, you know, we no longer do. And, and so really over the years, we, we really continue to, to niche down further and further until we arrived at the space of membership marketing for cultural organizations. And so, yes, you're right that when I first joined Hands Off CEO, I was already a, a big believer in that, what you call the power of one, one, one client, one problem, one solution. And so it wasn't that was new to me, but I think the work that we've done together in the group has helped me to just continue to hone that down and refine that even more, probably even more than I, than I thought I could. Like, you know, once I got to membership marketing for uh, nonprofits, as it were, it's kind of what we called it, like that still left a lot on the table. And so the fact that we've been able to really, with your help and your team, self, kind of further define that, not only in terms of the types of organizations that we work with, but the size, you know, we're very clear about at what point it makes sense for us to come in as a partner to help them, because that's ultimately what we are there for is it's really help them grow their membership. But a lot of that comes with strategic planning, a lot of consulting type of work, a strategic thinking kind of work that really costs the same regardless of what your overall budget is when you go out to actually do your marketing activities. You know, we, we, we do tons of direct mail, we do tons of email, and we do tons of uh, digital advertising. And so those are sort of the three channels that we play in. And so you know, if, if you spend all of your money on just an idea and strategic thinking, and then don't have any money left over to actually go out and execute, then th that program is not going to really do well. And so we've gotten very clear about, uh, about what that is. And that helps us not only qualify potential new clients, but also talk to clients that maybe aren't quite there and really be honest with them about why, you know, why maybe right now is not the time. Still give them some thoughts. And we like to, I always like to think of the fact that I could be talking to somebody now who's at a small organization who is not an ideal client, that doesn't mean you brush them off. That doesn't mean that you you ignore them or anything like that. You still want to have a good initial interaction with them because you don't know what's going to happen to that person. They're there now, but what about tomorrow? They're at a huge, at now mem running membership at a much larger organization that is an ideal client for us. And so you, you definitely want to, you know, keep those relationships sort of active and, and on on good, uh, on good grounds, if you will, because I've seen, I mean, this is one of the ways that we've grown is through these referrals. People that are working at one place, leave, go join another organization and then call me up and say, Hey, Ricardo, I'm, I'm now settled in at this new organization. Loved what you did with us previously. I'd like to bring you in here. And so you always have to keep in mind that just because they're not, maybe, maybe an organization that's a great, good plan for you now, you, you want to still, you know, be nice to them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and give them some little bit of value that they can take away and be like, you know what? Yeah. Not, not, maybe not the right fit right now, but you know, that, that half hour, 45 minute call that I have Ricardo really made me think about a lot. I took a lot of value away from that. They're going to, they're going to remember that. And so when they are in that position where, where you uh, more are more of a shit, they'll reach out again. I love that. That's a really great strategy too, for 
you can even be proactive about how you generate some more referrals from, you know, past clients that have moved on to other companies. So I love that. So you mentioned something about size and how you refined to like what stages of, of these companies that you're working with. So how has gotten more refined in the size of the companies you're working with impacted the overall size of engagement and the fee that you're, you're able to command with the services? Sure. Right. Well, and, and, and so that, that really comes down to, I mean, for us, you know, there's, if, if they're not, there's a certain level that they need to be spending annually on membership marketing, right? And that's something that we can pretty quickly ascertain, just either asking new, new practices directly, how much do you spend? And if they're, if they're hemming and hawing or don't necessarily want to get that, then you can back into that by saying, okay, well, how many campaigns do you do a year? What is the, what is the size of those things? And so, you know, that, that's helped us not only to qualify folks, but, but also understand that those larger organizations that are spending enough money for us to make a difference. The reason for that is because, and this was really the, the insight that I saw when I, when I founded One Rhythm, you know, I was in a different industry, really different role, but we're still doing some work for some of these organizations that are now clients of ours. And I saw that they were spending a lot of money. Some of these organizations spend, you know, millions of dollars on, on, on marketing every year. But see, the thing about all of these cultural organizations from the top down, from the executive director on down, is a lot of the people, most of the people, even at the executive people that are working at these organizations, are there because they, they didn't want to go into business. They were, didn't want to, quote unquote, sell widgets, right? They wanted to go into something that was more of a passion play for them, whether it's art history or, or science or you know, things like that. And so even though they're at the executive level, they're not necessarily all, always sort of looking at things from that business standpoint of optimizing your, your marketing spend, optimizing your ROI, doing A-B testing to make sure that you're continually improving what you're doing, uh, things like that. And so I saw that opportunity that like, okay, these organizations are spending a lot of money. They're not in it for the money, but they also have revenue requirements. They've got huge staffs. They've got huge locations. I mean, it costs a lot just to keep the lights on a lot of these places. And so they're definitely going to be interested in making sure that if they're spending half a million dollars on marketing for membership, that that's getting them the most that it can. And so that's where I saw that initial opportunity to go in and, and bring sort of my business acumen, my experience, and we're looking at things more from just a, a for-profit perspective, if you will, and help them optimize those, those budgets. And so that's why the size matters because you know, you've got to, there's got to be enough going on there for us to really say like, okay, we can, we can increase this by 20% and that's going to, it's going to mean this much more revenue for you. We're talking six figures more revenue for you or, you know, six figures in savings. You know, if it's a small organization, we can do all that work. It's going to cost a lot of money, but it's the impact's not going to be the same because there's just not as much scale that, that we're working with. So then how has that impacted your fees that you're able to charge and the, the length of engagement that you're, when you're working with these clients? When you're choosing like really it, what it sounds like you're describing this profit sweet spot client that you have, how is that yeah, impacting right. what you guys can charge? And, and ethically because of the, the impact that you're able to make. Right. Well, it's a combination of, of, of the size. And at this point, it's also, you know, leveraged by or, or enhanced by the fact that we do have a lot of blue chip clients. And so we picked up a lot of traction uh, and, and reputation as sort of a boutique high-end agency in our, in our, in our industry. And, and so... That is also part of it too, because the only reason that we're getting some of these newer, larger clients is because they talk to colleagues and they say, wow, how's your membership program going? They say, you know, we're working with one of them. Uh, we've been working with them for a few years. They, you know, our, our membership program has really improved. We're getting a lot more out of it. Uh, you should talk to them. And so what I focus on when I talk to these clients, especially for the first time, is, is results, right? We talk about results. I, you know, when I finally send them 
a proposal with costs and things like that. I mean, there are some line item things, but really that always comes in tandem with projections. You're going to spend this much money. You're going to get three, four, five X. That's what we're projecting you're going to get. And we focus on that. We focus on what they're going to get, not not what they're going to spend. And I think that's a huge part of how when you, when you look at it that way and you focus on those results, then it's less about nickel and diming on like, you know, on what your professional fees are. And it's like, wow, if you're going to do all that for me, I mean, if I tell you like you spend $100,000 and you get $400,000 back all day long, then do you really care if you're spending that $100,000? No. So I think that that's a big part of taking that, the focus away from sort of a cost or a cost plus. Because we do have some clients who still come back and say, well, I need you to put this into sort of an hourly sort of uh, description. We're like, you know, what, what is your hourly cost? How many hours are you going to vote? And that's what should be the cost. And I, you know, we do that sometimes just because organizations sometimes are used to working that way. But I do emphasize to them that, that to the extent that we, that we're required to quantify things by hours, it might not actually work out in favor because, you know, we really like to just sell programs and we like to sell results. And so because we are our engagements. I, you know, from my perspective as, as the owner and runner of the business that I don't like to be in positions where I feel like I need to nickel and dime people. So if you do that, where you're just focusing on the cost, then you're going to have to be focusing on, okay, how many hours are we spending? And do we need to then go and get a change order, whatever you want to call it? That to me is just a waste of time. I'd rather get to a point where I'm comfortable, obviously within reason. <laughs> you know, we, there is a scope always, but where we're less focused on that, where we just, we agree on this is what the guests can be. And now we're focused on, on the results. And I think because of that and, and the, and going after these larger clients where then our professional fees really only amount to 20%, say of the overall budget, that's palatable, right? That makes sense versus 50% of the total budget. Okay. Got it. And, and you have gone through and refined your offer and, and made it tighter. And are you finding that that's allowing you to attract better clients that are paying more? I am. Yeah, no, definitely getting clear about the offer of, you know, we ha- we haven't used the guarantee per se. Um, I don't think we need to. You, you really don't need to. And the, the process, you yeah. definitely don't need to use the guarantee on it. It's, it's optional. Yeah, yeah. Right. But the fact that we talked about in terms of results, in terms of unlocking 20% year over year growth through membership program, and also explaining to clients, if you, you know, if you look, part of our offering is understanding where membership fits into the longer sort of financial support life cycle of any organization. So, you know, it just shows that we understand kind of the realm that we're playing in, what comes before us, what comes after us, and how we can sort of help that life, let that life cycle kind of move through and, and up into the right for, for Well, and that's really considerable too. You know, if you're adding 20% year over year growth for these organizations, I mean, that yeah. is, uh, I mean, many millions of dollars every year. Yes. Yes, it is. That's pretty incredible. And you have the pathway to, to do, does that? So I'm curious, you know, Ricardo, you came to us in a place where you already have a, has a successful agency. So what appeals to you that, about this process? Well, I mean, it's true that at the end of, what it was the end of 2021, we had just had another record year, but we still had a relatively small team. It was just me, one, one other full-time person who had been with me from day one, and then one part-time person that we had for a couple of years. And, and what we're, I was at the point of, not wanting to continue. And it had, if it had just been about me, I, pro- I, I seriously was considering shutting the operation down. Not because it wasn't profitable, because I was still too bogged down in doing a lot of the deliverable stuff and doing the day-to-day stuff. And the thought at that point of getting even one more client was, you know, was not, a, not a fun thought for me because I just knew that that meant so many more things in my plate that I didn't want to do. And you know, I knew that there was some way to deal with this, but I wasn't, I wasn't really sure how. And so 
But it wasn't an option for me to shut down the operation because I did, did have a couple of people that were, were relying on it. And I also felt like we had a great opportunity. And so I sort of just rededicated myself and I said, let's do something that I just happened to, you know, we happened to connect at that point. He reached out to me, we connected and it made sense to me. And so I recommitted and I knew that a lot of it was really a mindset thing, but it's really been helpful to reinforce some of the ideas that, that I already had and then move them forward in terms of scalable. Um, it's been a huge help to really focus on the SOPs because that's the other side of focusing on a niche, on, on a niche, right? And doing the same things across clients. So we're not reinventing the wheel every time we get a new client. That's really what makes it scalable. And that's scalable versus growth, right? Growth just means more work for everybody all the time, more ground work. And it's kind of not, not fun. That's where I was before, you know, before I signed on with hands-off CEOs. We were, we were growing, but it was painful. <laughs> and, you know, this, the idea that just that, even that perspective shift, like well, growth is one thing, but scalability is something else entirely. That was a big aha moment for me. And I'm like, that's actually true because that's a benefit of niching down that we hadn't really capitalized on yet and that we have put a lot of work in since then over the last year and a half. Not only have we hired a lot of team members to, to take some of the things off my plate, but also focusing on creating SOPs so that everyone knows what they're doing, not always with my input, which was a huge problem too. Is that, yeah. that was a bottleneck. I was kind of a bottleneck in that. I, I knew I was the bottleneck and it was also painful to be the bottleneck. <laughs> and so, you know, I really needed to get out of that. And so some, all of these things have really been, been helpful for us to create now standard processes. So we bring in new team members, you know, um, interviewing yet another for yet another role that we're hiring in a couple of hours here. And, and it's been great to, to have those things in place. As we get new people on board, there's now a process. We, we can onboard them to get to know our culture, but then also specifically the processes that they need to follow. And I, you know, we encourage and empower everyone on our staff to continue to develop, to develop those apps. It's not a top-down thing. It doesn't have to come from me entirely anymore. You know, now that we've got a, a sort of more of an established culture and established priorities, now everyone is empowered to create SOPs uh, and refine those and, and just get things done without me having to, to you know, check every single thing that, every, that everybody does. Mm, right. First of all, you know, I want to actually just check in with you on the, the see if the, this is what you've experienced. One of the things that we see a lot of times with consulting companies, agencies, you guys are kind of somewhere in the middle between that. Mm-hmm. Most of our clients are kind of somewhere in the middle where they're doing kind of some done for you work, some consulting work. It's all kind of together. And that's because that's what gets results, right? And, yep. you know, from the outside, your business looks very custom because you're generating custom results, every single one of your clients. So, right. and if I may, I wanted to, to remind you of something that you, sh- you shared with our tribe, you know, a few weeks back, you'd mentioned how you were able to be able to generate these, these results, the 20% year over year growth with offers, even up to, you know, a million dollars a year type of engagements and even have 90% of it system driven and, and 90% of it based on processes with only 10% of it actually customized, but still be able to deliver this exceptional result better than anyone else in your industry. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's, it sounds counterintuitive, right? But it's not. And the reason that it's not is because when you have that 80, 90% of your processes really kind of dialed in, systematized uh, so that multiple people on your team can follow and execute on those things. And let's be honest, I mean, because a lot of these things are repetitive against, I mean, email campaigns or email campaigns, regardless who we're doing it for. Um, and, but like that frees you to really actually focus on that 10% which is what differentiates you, whether it's because of your strategic thinking or it's because 
you pour a little bit more effort into some bespoke design on the direct mail package versus just literally being template driven on absolutely everything. But by doing that and, and then being having the ability to focus on that 10% that makes you special, that makes you different, that is that you know is ultimately going to move the needle because everyone's doing it. It's like our, all of our competitors essentially do the same thing that we do, right? It's not like nobody's like, oh, I didn't think about sending direct mail or, oh, I never thought about sending email. Everyone does it. But so that in and of itself is not unique. But what is unique is you know our ability to take those same elements and either orchestrate them in a slightly different way that we know based on our experience and our results works better. Continue to test those things because every client is different and their audiences are all different. But then also just be able to spend that time focus on, on that 10% that sets you apart. That is why, even though it's counterintuitive, that we're not just reinventing the wheel every time. It's because we're doing all the things that everyone expects you to do really, really well. And then we're doing that 10% that sort of is our own take on it that nobody else is doing that. And we focus on that and, and have the time and the, and the bandwidth to focus on that. And I love that because you're actually demonstrating a, a really critical shift in thinking that many consulting companies just simply don't get. Because what happens is a lot of times when you're going to say, we need to scale, so let's standardize and let's systematize, is they go and do that before they've actually really codified what's really exceptional. So the reason why you guys can do this is because this 90%, what you've actually done is you've codified what is exceptional best practices that you've used and that you have proven over the past 11 years and then on top of that, I know you have a long marketing career before that. So all of these things have been crystallized into these best practices that it's taken all of the, all of the expertise that you have developed over decades, and it's crystallized these into repeatable systems and processes that your team can now add more value to. Because it's not just you. I know that your team is added value to this as well. No, absolutely. Yeah, all, all that is, is, is accurate. And that's, I mean, the other thing that I would say has been super helpful and it's something that we've really kind of implemented the start of this year. And that is company culture and focus on company, company culture, core values. Because, you know, we spent pretty much all of 2022, our focus was built capacity. So we hired five people uh, in various different roles. And and then, you know, once, so it was kind of, a, it was new for us. Even though we've been around for a long time, all of a sudden, in fairly short order, we've got all these new team members. We're a remote company. So they're all over, literally all over the world. And so, you know, I'm not, I'm not a control freak, but I am a perfectionist. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so like, it's, it's not that I need to be looking over your shoulder when you're doing stuff, but so I'm, I'm fine with like letting you run with stuff, but then I am going to be critical of the results or the, or the way case goes out if it's not up to par in my opinion. And so that's a difficult thing to balance sometimes. And I realized that I think, you know, really focusing on the core values that we all know, you know, we came up with, and frankly, I mean, I, I started, I came up with them. They're really my personal values. I even told my team, I'm like, I'm going to have to start to see about core values. They're honestly my core values, but it's my company. So I feel this is a good place to start with. I'm like, and it's gotten me to this point. So, but I mean, I was, you know, that being said, I'm like, I'm open to, you know, hearing what you think about these. Is there something else you'd like to see? So we went through that process. It was, not only was it really great as a team building process, but when we finally ended up with the core values that we all agreed to that we can reference on our, on our internal, you know, hub, if you will, at any point, is it can use, it can be now a, a, a touchstone or a way for gui to guide individual team members in certain situations. Like if they need to answer a question for a client that they would normally want me to answer or something like that, but I'm not available or there's just no time. I'm like, ask yourself, just reflect. Like one of our core values is respect, right? And, and so I'm like saying, you know what? You can 
pretty much ask just about any question as long as you do it with respect, right? And so that you should be fine as long as you're you're convinced that it's a good question to ask in terms of it's relevant to what we're doing, that sort of thing. But beyond that, just make just make it respectful, and that that gets the communication and how you you talk to not only ourselves but our clients and our our, our very critical sort of you know partners that we do, do to fulfill our work. So all of that has been, I guess really helpful and as far as letting go and empowering the team. And I, I keep coming back to that because it really is such an important part of, I think, of scaling a business is not only getting people and getting the right people, but then actually letting them do stuff <laughs> uh, and, and, and letting them run with it. But I mean, you've got to provide the framework. Core values are a big part of that framework. SOPs are a big part of that framework. But if you do it right and if you get the right people, and again, if you have the right attitude and, and really empower and, and really make them believe you when you say, you know, I want you to go out and do this. And it's not about, it's not about you doing it right or wrong. It's about you doing it. And then we revisit. And if we need to refine it, we can. There's very little judgment. I can't tell you how many times I, I stress that too, especially when things go wrong. Like if, if something goes wrong and either somebody, maybe a client complains, we'll have a meeting about it. And I, I always start out the meeting by saying, I just want to make reminder of it again. This is not a finger pointing meeting. This is not a heads are going to roll me. This is not to put blame on anybody. We just need to figure out why this happened so that it doesn't happen again. That's it. And so, you know, I think people appreciate that. And when you treat your people with respect like that, they want to do better for you. They want to do a good job and they, and they feel like they have the, the wherewithal and the ability to go out and, and really do that. So that's been another huge thing is you got, and, and you, you and your team has, have been really helpful in helping us build that capacity, you know? So that's, that's been great. I appreciate that. And I want I want to actually to kind of unpack a few things and the way that you're sharing and showing up. I want to point out some things to listeners here because there's some attributes of how you're showing up as a leader that have contributed to your success. So first of all, I'm sure I knew this when we started working together, but I didn't realize your team was as small as it actually was yeah. for the actual size of your company and the kind of impact that you were making, you know, the size that your team could have been 10 times the size of that when I'm making comparison mm-hmm. to what other agencies are able to do. So yeah. I just want listeners to hear that too, because what it really is actually showing is how how impactful you have, have been able to lead the company, even with just small resources. And it also makes sense why you were pretty Exactly. I think we've all yeah. been waiting for. Victim of uh, our own success in a way, yeah, you know? Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. But something else I wanted to point out too is, is that the way that you're leading your team and you're, you know, getting curious, you're, you're setting the core values and you're leading your team based on these core values. Now, a a less mature business leader would look, would, would say, you know, I need to focus on these other things first because they're more important, but you're, you're actually focusing, focusing on the things that are going to drive the impact. And I can always tell just without even asking the questions about where the growth is, you know, how many teams it, you can ask, you would know a lot about where a leader is at by ha- the conversations that they have about what they think is important. And when they start talking about leadership, when they start talking about culture, when they start talking, you know, they're in a different place. It's exciting to see you in that place and how patient you are with your team and really um, fostering this culture where people feel safe to contribute. And how much have you grown your team set? I mean, you said you were at a couple people before and how many are you at now? Right. I mean, we are now eight people and, you know, soon to be nine. I would say within the next month we'll be nine. And I'd say by the end of the year, we'll finally break that that 10 employee barrier. And then at that point, it might change my title to CEO. It's funny. I had 
<laughs> I had this conversation of like, I can't call myself a CEO. We're still just like eight people, you know? So. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> funny. well so it's that by the end of the year, looking at around 8X, uh, you're the size of your team. Not, not yeah. always the best variable to go based on because there's lots of people. <laughs> your team, your growth, your growth is not necessarily like the, the, the metric you want to go based on because you could just be burning a hole right in your pocket. But I know right. that like for the growth that you guys are experiencing, that's a pretty healthy number. Yeah. 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 So congratulations on that growth, you know, and you Thank know, you. is there any growth percentages or numbers that you would feel comfortable sharing? Yeah. I mean, we've been growing at a minimum of 35% and sometimes as much as 50% year over year since 2019. And, you know, 2020, as I mentioned earlier, as the beginning was, was sort of a watermark. That was the first year that we broke a million dollars in, in revenue. Okay. And so, and we've been, you know, continuing to build on that ever since. And so we're, I mean, we're more than 3X that. Uh, I expect to be more than 3X that by the end of this year. Nice. So, you know, looking at this, what are some of the things that you found has made the biggest difference in keeping up with the pace of growth that you have, other than what we've already talked about? The biggest difference in terms of keeping up is, is just the fact that I, I do have team members now. I mean, even though I'm still in, it's still in process as far as getting completely out of day to day, it is night and day from where I was certainly 18 months. And that's been a huge reason because not only has it put me in a better frame of mind or I'm not going crazy and wanting to just you know, run for the hills, but it's also, it's also reinvigorated me. I mean, as we, as we add, you know, team members and every single time we add somebody and they're, you know, we go through a whole process to add these people. So you know, knock on wood, but so far, you know, everyone that we've added has been fantastic and has really stepped in and grown into the roles. To me, as, as the leader of the company, you know, I, it, it's exciting to just get these smart people who come in and like, not only, you know, cause it's, and it, it's, I always stress that it's a, it's a two-way street. It's not just, do I like you and can you do what I need you to do? But like, do you like working in this firm? Do you like working for me? Is your work here helping you achieve your own personal professional goals. You know, and this is something that is, is as, as I'm hiring people, I say, I'm like, I need you to understand that, like, you know, we expect you to do your work, but we also expect your work here to further whatever goals you have. You know, and I understand that, you know, I, in a perfect world, nobody would ever leave, but we know that that doesn't happen. And so I always stress to applicants and, and my current team members that, like, you know, whatever that day comes, if you finally say, you know, I, I, I'm going to move on to some other opportunity, for whatever reason, I want them to really be able to look back on the time at one rhythm and say that was, that was, it was fun. It was, it was educational. I learned a lot and it helped me get to where I wanted to go in my own professional life. Because if we're not doing that for you, then A, you're probably not going to be doing your best work. And B, I don't think that means we're probably not doing something right if that's not the case. And so I, I really want to make sure that, that it's a win-win for, you know, for everyone. So that's, so yeah, it's, and it's just great. Like I said, it, it's just wonderful to see people kind of buy into all of this and, and really kind of run with it. it. It invigorates me to, to really continue to want to lead to this. Because as I said, you know, as, when you're, as you know, like leading an organization, you know, sometimes because the book ultimately does stop with you <laughs> and with me. And so when I were out, you know, this, that headspace I was at at the end of 2021, still the leader of the company, still doing very well. But in a completely different, you know, my perspective was completely different because I couldn't see at that point how was I going to get to this place that I am now. And so, with all the work that we've done, it's it's not only gotten us gotten us to this place and created great opportunities for more team members, for more new clients, but 
for me, for myself, it's, it, it makes me, it makes me realize that as much as we've done, I keep saying there's so much more we can do. There's so much more we can do. And so that in and of itself is exciting for me because the end of the day, we said I'm doing this because I chose to do it, you know, and I have to keep choosing to do it every single day. And it was getting hard for me to keep choosing to do it. And so I'm glad that I'm now at a place where I'm really happy every single day when I wake up knowing that this is what I'm going to be working on. It feels fulfilling, not just, not just financially, but personally, emotionally, psychologically, <laughs> all of that. It's, it's a really fulfilling role to be in right now. Yeah, love that. So if you were talking with another you know, consulting agency CEO, and maybe they've got to a point where they become a victim of their own success, you know, their company's growing fast, but they are, um, and maybe they're even doing a lot of the right things, but they're, they're past stuck in that place. What would you, what advice would you give them? I would say to the extent that you are the bottleneck and to the extent that that is something that you feel can't change, then you need to rethink that. You need to think that that thing is that there's no way that anyone else can do what I do. You can't, you have to let go of that. Now, sure. I mean, you, you might have, you know, as you might have unique experience, unique perspective. I mean, I, I would imagine as, as a founder and a leader of a company that you're, you're there because relatively speaking, you have more experience, more, you know, all of that. And so you, you, it's not that that's meaning less, but we fool ourselves sometimes into thinking that in order for you to get done right, we have to. And the problem with that thought is that it works when you're smaller, when you're growing. And maybe it is what's gotten you to where you are now. The fact that you've been so involved in everything. You think to yourself, well, how, if, if I've been such a critical part of getting us to this point, then don't I have to be a critical part of all this stuff, even as we grow? And the answer is no, <laughs> because you're going to burn out. And that means that even the things that used to do well, really well yourself, you're not going to do well anymore. Because you're going to be, A, whether it's just a bandwidth thing where you just, you know, you don't have enough time. But you also start resenting it because you don't want to keep doing the same stuff all the time and, and you get burnt out. And so I would say that more than anything else is like to the extent that you think that, that you have to be the one to do all this, that, and the other, really need to reexamine that because it's not true most of the time. You are able to download <laughs> and brain dump and set up SOPs to people that you trust that work for you that they will honestly, like in a lot of ways, eventually probably do it better than you would ever done it. The few times these days that I have to go back and do some of these things that I used to do on a more regular basis, I mean, not only am I sitting there going like, geez, thank, thank goodness I don't have to do this anymore. But then I realize that I'm not even the best person to be doing this specific task. There's definitely people who are better at this specific task than me. I, you know, it's, I've always been a generalist uh, in my mind and, uh, and in my behavior and in my interests. And so even going back to high school, I always used to, sort of think to myself, like, be, be a little bit jealous of that one kid who, you know, maybe he was a C student, didn't play any sports, you know, was ever, was always in detention, but like, my goodness, a virtuoso on the keyboards, right? <laughs> and like, you knew that this, this is what they were going to do. And they, they knew, you asked them, what do you want to be a professional musician? And they just knew that in their bones. And I was always like, man, that would be so nice. Because for me, like, I loved so many different things. And I was, you know, whatever I set my mind to, I was pretty good at, whether it was sports, whether it was academics, whether it was anything else, I, I would really, whatever I sort of focused on, I would do well at. So as a generalist, that leaves you feeling like, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, what, how, how do I, who is me? You know? And so, and, and for a while, I thought that that was a bad thing. And now I'm very much convinced that it's, it's a great thing because what you need are specialists. You definitely need specialists in different areas of your business. But those specialists, by virtue of the fact that they're deep down in a trench, <laughs> 
in what they're doing. When they stand up, they're, the trench is still up here. So they can't look around to see what, so they can't connect dots. And, you know, and it's the role of the leader and somebody who's going to set a vision to be able to look at the totality of everything. Look at the technical side of things. Look at the creative side of things. Look at the strategic side of things and connect those dots and be able to say, okay, this is the, this is the direction that we need to go in. Um, I know that that's the direction that we need to go in. I'm also, I also know that I'm not the one who has to say the technical chops to develop that out with creative experience and ability to design that. But I know that that's what we need to do. And so that as a leader, and that's quite honestly, it's more fun <laughs> for me, you know, is to be like, that's where we need to go. Now, okay, now let's go make it happen. Let me know what resources you need to make that happen. I'm happy to check in along the way to make sure we're not off course. But, but that's really, that's really it, I think, is, is, is don't think that you've got to be the line, the line cook all the time. Yeah. Because you don't, you know, because otherwise you'll just be flipping burgers for the rest of your life. Yeah. Or even the restaurant manager. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, well, Ricardo, thank you so much for um, coming on the podcast. If someone's listening to this and they want to uh, get connected, what's the best way for them to get connected with you? Yeah, sure. Ricardo at onerhythm.com. That's R-I-C-A-R-D-O at O-M-O-M-E-R-H-Y-P-H-M.com. It's a, it's a way that I qualify people, by the way. <laughs> Can they spell rhythm? Can they spell rhythm? You can also just go to our website, onerhythm.com, and there's there's ways to get in touch with us there. But but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll welcome any any questions. So thank you for having me uh, on your program, Mandy. I appreciate it. Absolutely, Ricardo. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Hands Off CEO with Mandy Ellison. If you want to work less and make more, make sure you subscribe and get a new episode every week and help spread the word by leaving a review.